Hello, welcome to today's episode of Choosing the Numbers. I almost said the wrong podcast name. Uh, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. I am one of your hosts, Corbin Heller. And we're coming at you late. This is kind of a weird one uh, because we missed the last podcast. You know, we missed Monday's show, which I had tweeted about because we knew we were going to miss it um, because of scheduling conflicts. And we figured we'd get to it late. And then the American League wildcard game happened. And we're like, ah, well, might as well wait after that. And that would just bring us to today's episode. So here we are in today's episode. So a lot has happened since our last Thursday episode because we had the remainder of the regular season as we were going along with our wildcard updates. Um, and then we had the first wildcard game. As, as we're recording this, it is um, is October 6th, 5.30 p.m. on the East Coast. So the National League wildcard game hasn't started yet. We're still a couple hours out from that as the Dodgers take on the Cardinals. So as you're listening to this, we will have a, 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 an NLDS uh, matchups set already. But as of right now, we don't know that yet. Um, although I'd be willing to bet we probably have less to say about that ac- outcome than we do the outcome of the AL wildcard game, the ALDS. So uh, I, I guess we can start with that chronologically. In addition to the litany of other things that have happened since we last recorded, the Jets and Giants collecting wins. Urban Meyer collecting shit. Um, the the He's Panthers collecting stuff on Gilmore. He is taken. Well, you know, you, you, he dished out. He, if you accept the grinding, you must accept the grinding. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, fuck. I guess I, I guess we'll start with the conclusion of the regular season for the ML effort MLB, because I, I think that's probably the easiest place to be to start. Um, so the Rays came into New York to play the Yankees. The Yankees needed one win to officially solidify their wild card spot. Uh, and they boy, how do they kept delaying it? It ended up culminating in what would have been a possible four-way tie scenario heading into the final game of the season on Sunday, October 3rd, as the Yankees and Red Sox were both 91 and 70. The Blue Jays and the Mariners were both 90 and 71, which means that if both the Red Sox and Yankees had lost and the Blue Jays and Mariners had both won, they would have a four-way tie. So it was very interesting at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would never root for the Yankees to lose. But I had to say, if they did, and we got a four-way tie out of it, I think I could live. That's worth the history, you know, of like, you know, this has been just been an all-over year for the Yankees. It is what it is. You don't make history like that often. That'd be pretty cool. No, and, you know, we all have secondary rooting interests as as people, as humans, as, as sports fans, you know, and whether it's as basic as like one of my secondary rooting interests is the White Sox. Uh, one of Corwin's secondary rooting interests is like the Pirates. Not very hard because they're very bad and they hurt. But, you know, when they do well, you go like, hey, look, they did something. Um, and one of my other secondary rooting interests is chaos. I am a colossal fan of chaos. If you listen to this podcast, you know, I fucking love chaos. And if the Yankees had to die to introduce just a modicum more chaos into, into the atmosphere, I think I'd fucking take that shit. 
10 times out of 10. Um, but the Yankees won, which is all well and good. Unfortunately, the Red Sox also won, which meant that because they tied for the wild card spots, well, that's two right there because ties require two teams at least. Um, which means that, which meant that, I guess I should say past tense, that no matter what the Blue Jays nor Mariners did, they wouldn't have made the show, which I'm not sure what matters, which one hurt more. What do you think? Uh, because the Blue Jays won and their game on Sunday, and it didn't matter because they weren't going to make the playoffs. And the Mariners lost their game on Sunday, which also would have mattered because even if they had won, they wouldn't have made the playoffs. Which do you think hurts more, the Blue Jays winning and it not mattering or the Mariners losing and not mattering? I think the loss is always going to hurt more regardless. You know, it's like the whole premise of, all right, you don't leave the court until you make your last shot. You don't leave the range until you, you know, hit a good shot. Uh, It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter in either case, but at least one of them got a win and the other team you know, goes into the off season, goes into the unknown of next year with just the, like just an extra level of disappointment. It's, it's tough because if you're a Blue Jays fan, you got out to an early lead, which means you're really spending more of the the day scoreboard watching than you are, I guess, enjoying your, your team game. Um, And I guess you can rest your hat on knowing that your team did everything they could do in that last day. But it's it I it's it's like you build the hope for it to still get kind of taken off from underneath you. Whereas in the Mariners instance, they got off to an early deficit. Uh, the Angels literally lead off home run from Shohei Otani and then never, ever, I mean, really came back at all. So you almost don't even need to scoreboard watch. You can really in a really twisted way, you can just focus on your team's game because unless you win, it doesn't matter. So you only have, I guess the one, like nothing got built up if you're a Mariners fan because you got cut off at the knees and it couldn't be built up. <laughs> so it's a shitty way of not getting your hopes dashed because you fucked yourself in the ass. Um, but it is a different type of, pain than the Blue Jays who actually did have a, a chance, a chance. The Red Sox were losing. We have a chance. We have a chance. And then Raphael Devers comes along and says, fuck your whole family, Toronto. Uh, it's, it is it is a sad tale of differences. Yeah, it definitely sucks for both teams. But at the end of the day, it's like you're both out of the playoffs. So I don't think either team is going to walk away feeling like they got that silver lining of, oh, at least we didn't have to sit and pull our hair out watching the other team or, or you know, at least we won anything like that. It's like, all right, we still suck. We lost. We let it slip away. So I know we did like a whole episode on how on earth did the Mariners do this? And we came mm-hmm. up still scratching our heads because at no point did they ever really do anything especially well. Um, but they won our they, hearts especially well. They did. They, they they won the battle of fun differential, which is most of the war. Um, then they ended up finishing second in the AL West, which is just fucking ridiculous. Do they have a September push for the for the playoffs next season too? Are they positioned for that? 
I don't know if they are. I just like you looked at what they were able to do this year and you applaud them. You think, man, you're really close. But you look at them going into next year that you look at all the other teams around them going into a fresh season. And I still don't know if I would put them as, you know, favorites to win the division favorites to make the wild card. I just like, yes, they were able to pull it all together this year. It's really hard to pull it all together multiple years in a row, especially when you don't exactly have, you know, a spectacular team to do so. Like the Yankees weren't able to pull it together this year. They had an up and down season, just like the Mariners did, but they have so much talent on that roster. You are going to have them be the favorites to make the wild card at least next year. I don't feel as confident with the Mariners roster. Yeah, it, you know what it feels like? It feels like a similar situation to what they just went through, where it's a little bit in their hands and a little bit out of their hands. So, like, for instance, what I mean by that is the wild card in the AL is getting bought up real quick. And there's going to be an arms race within the AL East about what happens with that. And there might even be some push from the Detroit Tigers. And so it almost comes down to like, what does the rest of the AL do versus how well does the Mariners progress? Because if the Mariners come out and Abraham, a full season of Abraham Toro is amazing for them. And Jared Kalnick takes a big step forward. And Kyle Lewis is awesome. And J.P. Crawford is awesome. And um, you know, Kyle Seeger's gone, but they managed to recover well from that because of, you know, like Abraham Toro or whatever. And all these things fall into place. Mm-hmm. They get a starting pitcher who's like a number two guy or a number three guy who's that's enough for them, whatever. All that happening is still a very suspect case for them to make the wild card on their own strength. It almost, ha- it almost comes down to like Carlos Correa leaves Houston. Where does he go? Mm-hmm. Does he go to the Tigers? Well, that might make it harder for them to get a wild card two spot. Does he go to the Yankees? Does that make it easier for them to try to vie for a wild card spot because he's not going to the Tigers uh, or Corey Seager from the Dodgers? Where does he go? I mean, if he ends up going to the Yankees and Correa stays with Houston, is that better for you? Because Houston, you can chalk up to the uh, division spot and um, you try to just win a battle of a tr- or like Matt Olson. Does he stay in Oakland? In which case you, you beat Oakland this year. Can, can you do it again all next year? Or does he go to the Yankees and, and make that a harder fight for you? I really see Matt Olson staying in Oakland. I see him wanting to stay in Oakland. Does anybody want to stay in Oakland? And I mean that wholeheartedly and without an ounce of meanness. Does anybody want to stay? In, no one ever does stay in Oakland. Uh, no. You know what I, I mean? Know. Yeah. Can okay, hold on. Total total deviation. What's the longest? Can you think of a long t- a, a lifelong A? That's that was my question. Like, what is the longest tenured Oakland Athletic of the last like decade, last two decades? Like since the turn of the century, since Moneyball Baseball in Oakland, who's been the longest tenured player? Dude, I have no. All right, I'm I'm gonna look it up. Like, I have to look it up. Um. But because yeah, I'm struggling to think of like you even think of the really famous ace, Catfish Hunter, play with the Yankees. Ricky Henderson mm-hmm. bounced all around the league. Uh, Raleigh Fingers didn't finish his career in Oakland. Uh, I mean, I mean, who 
Actually, I said that with a lot of confidence, and now I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure Raleigh Fingers ended up on the Yankees at some point. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, Padres. He was on the Padres. Um, mm. And the Brewers. Should have known so, that one. Yeah. I mean, he was a Padre for four seasons from 77 to 1980, so I don't I don't think you should blame yourself for, for not knowing that. Um. Okay. Hold on, folks. All right, so we had stopped briefly Cooper while I could Chris. look this up because I wanted to make sure I could get an answer and a readable answer in a timely fashion. And thank God I paused it because, oh boy, I did, it took a second. Um, and I'm still not convinced this is going to be a great answer because there's, um, uh, there's at least one player on this list I can point to immediately that um, left the A's and went back again. Um, <laughs> but Corwin, I got a, I got a top five. Oh man. Even the top six, the top six players. This is a fucking. So what this is, is I ran a query in stat, not stat cast in stat head on baseball reference about the players with the most games played for the Oakland athletics from the year 2000 to 2021. Corwin, give me some names of who the fuck you think is on this list. Coco crisp. Coco Crisp is number five on this list with 734 yes. games for the Oakland Athletics, um, which Corwin is only six and a half seasons. That's not good. Oh, I can barely hear you. Can you hold your mic up a little bit? Yeah, sure. I said, that's not good. It's it's not good. It's not good. That's not good at all. Six and a half seasons is top five in the last 20 years with the Oakland A's. Who else could you imagine is on this list? Uh, Steven Vaught. Um, not in the top. He's 23rd. Okay. Long time Oakland A's. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I do not know who number one is. (laughs) Wow. Um, oh, who's the dude with the funky mustache? Um, He's not even on the team anymore. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, Sean Manaya. Uh, Sean Manaya. You stick around since he was a young lad. All right. I just passed you on Cespedes and haven't seen his name. So, no. I have nothing. Although this might just be batters. Actually, now that I think about it, I did run this as batters. So, I'll, I'll do a second one for, um, for player pitchers in a second. But uh, number one is Eric Chavez. Okay. Who had a good career. Um, He played for Oakland for 13 seasons from 1998 to 2010 and then played two years with the Yankees that I have absolutely no recollection of in 2010, 2011, sorry, 2011, 2012. And then finished his career with the Diamondbacks in 2013 and 2014. He has a career 38.3 war and 115 OPS plus six-time gold glove winner and a silver slugger. And I wiped this man out of my memory. I have no recollection of this man. He played for my favorite baseball team. I didn't have to wipe my memory. I never knew who he was to begin with. Yeah, that is your number one guy. That is the reality of that man. That man right there. 
I, I want a um, reference team. Give me a give me a reference team that you think might have probably has a player that's been there for longer over that same stretch. Uh, Brett Gardner with the Yankees. Well, I mean, like, give me a team so we, we can put some of these numbers into perspective. Um, do uh, what's like the well, no, the Cardinals have so many. Uh, let's do like the Rays because I feel like they're not going to have many at all. Oh, that's that's a that's probably a good call. Um, like Chris Archer is going to have numbers, but I don't think he's going to have any. Like I don't think he would count towards like continuous because, well, by all means, he's been there and back again. All right, Bill there Bill Baggins. Back again. There, that, yep, that's the word. That's that's the reference I was trying to think of. <laughs> um. Oh, the Tampa Bay Rays one actually makes a lot of sense. Um, but the Tampa Kevin Bay Rays, not mm. Kiermaier. He's number five with 851 games. Number one is uh, currently on the San Francisco Giants. Any guesses? Evan Longoria. Evan Longoria, 1,435 games, which um, is better than Eric Chavez at 1,189. And even the number two guy, Car- Carl Crawford, um, Carl. who has... Has 1,235 games with the Tampa Bay Rays, beats out the number one guy for Oakland over that same stretch. And the number three guy is dangerously close to where their number one guy is, who is um, Cubs legend. Cubs legend. Went to the Cubs with Joe Madden when Joe Madden switched from being the Rays manager to the Cubs manager. Who is that player, Corwin? With Joe Madden. He won World Series MVP. David Ross? Not David Ross. Oh, uh, uh, oh, fucking what's his name? Uh, ben Zobrist? Ben Zobrist. Yeah. Wow. I, didn't, I forgot he played with the Rays. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing. Like His career at the end with the Cubs felt so magical and stupid. Um, that it really just wiped the raisness completely away from him. Right, yeah. Damn. Way to go, Ben Zobrist. Yeah, right? Way to go, Benny Z. What's the um, story with him coming with Joe Madden? Uh, he was uh, just a favorite player of, of Joe Madden's. And so when Joe Madden switched from, you know, left the Tampa Bay Rays and went to become the, the manager of the Cubs, Joe Madden was like, I'm bringing fucking Zobrist with me. And then okay. he, he he got Zobrist. Hey, power to you. All of it. You got me. a guy you want, you, you're taking him with you, you know? Yeah. Um. So Ben Zobrist apparently has two World Series rings. Oh, my ben God. Zobrist. That's right. He was on the Royals when they won, too. I totally forgot about ah, that. Ah, damn. What a career. <laughs> Yeah, I completely forgot he was on that Royals team. I still can't believe he won World Series MVP. He won the World Series in back-to-back seasons. That's a hilarious stat because he was on the 2015 Royals and the 2016 Cubs. Wow. Yeah. Good good on you, bud. Seriously. And those two years, 2015 and 2016, his um, WRC plus, sorry, his OPS plus in each season was 121. I That's am interesting. Thoroughly impressed. Anyway, um, 
yeah, the Oakland A's don't have a lot of players that have been there for a long time. That's really so. The number number one guy is, like I said, was Eric Chavez. The number two guy is Mark Ellis. I don't know who that is. I gotta say, once again, neither do I. Um, he played for them from 02 to um, halfway through 2011 when he eventually got traded to the Colorado Rockies. He then played two seasons with the Dodgers from 2012 to 2013 and then finished his career in St. Louis in 2014. Um, no recollection of this man at, at no. all. Um, no. And then their number three guy is um, Jed Lowry, who just okay. made his return to the Oakland A's. Um, so you kind of even had to take this one with a grain of salt or with a, 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 a big caveat because he just played an additional uh, 139 games with Oakland. And this is actually, oh, sorry, this is his third stint with Oakland. Wow. I forgot Jed Lowry had a season with Houston. I also forgot that immensely. I so Jed Lowry's career, hold on, this is hilarious. Jed Lowry's career, four seasons at the beginning of his career with Boston. Absolutely okay. don't remember that. Then one season with the Astros in 2012, then two seasons with Oakland, and then one season with the Astros, Mm -hmm. and then three seasons with Oakland, and then one season with the Mets, and now he's back with Oakland. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that, sure. But, yeah, there's not exactly a lot of... Then number four is Marcus Simeon, who's not in that organization anymore. Coco Crisp, who's retired. Kurt Suzuki, who's not with that wow. organization anymore. Number seven is Bobby Crosby, another name what? I do not know. Um, and then it's Miguel Tejada, Mark Canna, and then Chris Davis with a K is, is number 10 on the list. Matt Olson, who is a current player with the organization, has the 13th most games played for the Oakland A's since the year 2000. And he's like, what, 25, 26? He's actually, he's he is 27 because he that. came up when he was 22. Um, okay. But he's, yeah, he's 27. Which means basically if he played next year and played, you know, let's just say 150 games for the fuck of it, uh, mm-hmm. that would put him at 720 games, which would put him at sixth all time. If he played the full 162 game season, just again for the fuck of it, um, that would put him at uh, 737 games, which would be fifth all time for the Oakland not all time fifth for the for the Oakland Athletics since the year 2000. Right. That wow. is horrendous. Way to go, Oakland! At least you know how to run a team. I'm going to look at the. uh, That was a very confident statement that they've shown signs of. I'm going to look at the Mets because it feels like they're hapless. Um, I agree. The Mets number one is David Wright since the year 2000, 1585. Then Jose Reyes, Daniel Murphy, Carlos Beltran, Lucas Duda, Michael Conforto, Mike Piazza. Wow, that's bizarre. None Uh, of those really shoot out at me as crazy. Like, I don't really remember when Mike Piazza retired, so. Oh, five. Oh. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I mean, he's sorry. He left the Mets in 05, I should say. Um, Fair. Wow. Yeah, he just played 
every fucking game from when he got to New York to when he left, basically. Fuck, wow. Hey, um, if there's a reason why there's one guy who only played five years still in your top of the list standings for, you know, since 2021 years, playing every game is a good reason for it. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Let's look at one more. T- let's look at uh, let's look at the Yankees because I, I, it's going to be Brett Gardner, New but you got to wonder. York. It might be Jeets, actually. Jeets has been with the... Because Jeets has 14 years from 2000 to 2014. Guardy's only got 09 to 2021, which includes a shortened season. So I'm actually willing to bet it's probably still Jeter. Jeter. Yeah, it's Derek Jeter. I bet Guardy's three. Guardy's actually two. Okay. So Jeets is... That's the obvious answer. I just, I don't know. I was hoping there'd be some guy that sneaks in there. It is a it is a treasured top ten. I gotta say though, um, it is such a list of names too. It's just amazing. So Derek Jeter's number one with twenty one hundred nine. So that's a lot. Uh, then Brett Gardner with sixteen hundred eighty eight. Then Jorge Posada fifteen hundred thirty thirty seven. Alex Rodriguez fifteen hundred nine. Robinson Cano thirteen seventy four. That rounds out the top five. And then if you want to keep going down the top ten, and then it's Bernie Williams, Mark Teixeira, Hideki Matsui. Jason Giambi, D.D. Gregorius sliding in there. Uh, and you just keep going down the list. This is just a great list of names. Alfonso Soriano, Nick Swisher, Johnny Damon, Aaron Judge, Melky Cabrera, Gary Sanchez, Jacoby Ellsbury, um, Curtis Granson, Chase Headley, and then Aaron Hicks is at number 20. That's just like a solid list of my childhood. Yeah. Like the guys I grew up watching, even as a non-Yankees fan, just like, oh, yeah, shit. Yeah, it's like there they are. Incredibly familiar. Yeah. They're all there, man. Ah, New York Yankees. Fuck all of you. But, uh, but, uh, dun, 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 dun. Yep. Sorry, that was, um, that was Sunday Night Football. That's what I was going for, too. Uh, in case anyone else is wondering, the pitcher with the most appearances, but it's it's games played as a pitcher, not games in the roster as a pitcher. So it's it's not really the same thing. Um, so all these are relievers, but the guy with the most um, games played as an Oakland A since the year two thousand is Jeremy Blevins with two hundred eighty one. Jeremy Blevins. Wow. G- sorry, Jerry Blevins. I added letters to Jerry's name. Sorry, Jerry. That Jerry Blevins. Oh, God, his picture on Baseball Reference is not a good one. Sorry, Jerry, you got hosed. Um, yeah, then Yusmero Petit, Sean Doolittle, Chad Bradford, which is a hilarious name. Chad Bradford. Liam Hendricks. Oh, and then one of my all-time favorite modern-day baseball names, um, Houston Street. Totally forgot about Houston Street. That is his name, Houston Street. I love that. Can we but look if you're in New York, it's pronounced Houston. Ugh. There, the uh, do you remember Jake Fromm, quarterback for yeah. Georgia, that went to the Bills? His high school was Houston, Georgia. That's Spelled awful. Houston. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think we have it right up here, and they have it wrong down there in Texas. What doesn't Texas do wrong? Um, barbecue, racism. <laughs> they do that really well. Yeah, they're really they're really if, good at if it. If you there. want it, yeah. Yeah. Um, Two ways of looking at that. What the fuck were we really talking good about at before it. we got on this um this thing uh, about longest tenured A's? Yeah, no, before that, from... what 
Oh, will Matt Olson stay? Well, we'll oh, <laughs> I can't wow. believe that's true. That we got all the way here from there. Fuck. Um. Yeah. I. Maybe. They don't. Well, the is they don't really keep. So the one guy, the 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 or the two guys that have played for the Oakland A's for more than a thousand games since the turn of the century are both role filler dudes. And the other guys are a mix, a mishmash of young guys that eventually left and kind of like old guys at the end of their career and, and like patches, you know, just slapping onto mm-hmm. you know, band-aids. The, your number one, number two guy are Eric Chavez and, and Mark Ellis. And those I, they, they seem as though they were fine players for their career, but those aren't, those aren't names. Those aren't guys. Mm-hmm. Everyone's desperately trying to keep around. Those That's not the Oakland A's Derek Jeter. Right. Right. Or honestly, it's not even the Tampa Bay Rays with Evan Longoria. Like right. Longo, while he's not on that team, is still a very productive player and was genuinely a guy was that was sought MVPs, after. I think. That doesn't sound right. I think you want an MVP. Well, now, now I have to look. I don't know. It doesn't sound right. He won, he won Rookie of the Year, a three-time Gold Glover, three-time All-Star, and a Silver Slugger, but no MVPs. His highest right. finish was 2013 when he finished sixth. All right. I'll go fuck myself. Oh, also tied way. with his 2010 campaign, which he also finished sixth. Sorry, Longo. Cheated you. Stop cheating my man, Longo. He's not my man. I don't know him. Whatevs. All my friends love Longo. Um, <laughs> all the cool kids love Longo. But like, Longo, yeah, that, that, you make it sound like it's some like hip drug. <laughs> you want to go get Longo in the parking lot? <laughs> uh, I know I hate mine too. But like, that's a guy. <laughs> like, like number one guy being Eric Long- Evan Longoria makes total sense. Like, that's a guy. It's a guy that people know who people wanted. The number one right. guy for the Oakland Athletics is some dude named Eric Chavez, which sounds like a made-up bad guy in like a Narcos type show. You were someone who rooted for him at a point in time and did not remember who he was. I have no idea who the fuck this man is, and he was on my favorite baseball team during a period in time which I would remember. It's not like it's like 1997 and I was right. three and I would have no like actual memories of this instance. It was 2011. I was in high school. I should remember this man. I have no recollection of his existence. Does it say, do you still have his page up at all? Yeah. What number was he for the Yankees? 12. Do you own his jersey? No, I do not own a 12. The only Yankees jerseys I own are catcher's jerseys and a Derek Jeter jersey. That comes standard with the fandom. That's fair. I don't know many Yankees fans who do not own a Yankees jersey. Yeah, I mean, it, it, when when you declare Yankees fandom, like it's like a it, when the stork drops you off as a Yankees fan, you come wrapped up in the Jeter jersey. This kind of grows with you. So. But yeah, um, the only the only ones only other ones I have are all catcher's jerseys yogi so. posada yogi posada munson and sanchez okay that's four is quite a larger number than i was expecting for catchers it's a very specific niche hey man i grew up a sada fan so gotta get the sada jersey grew up such a sada fan that i played catcher 
And then the mm-hmm. Yankees got a really good history of good catchers. It all lines up. Josh was telling me the other day that he used to have arguments about how Jorge Posada was better than Derek Jeter. Was that an argument we had on the podcast? No, it was something that I had mentioned was weird about. It was it was right after the Hall of Fame ceremony. We talked about this because hmm. there's people who like Derek Jeter wasn't that good. And I was like, it reminds me of all those stupid middle school arguments I got into when I was a kid because I would used mm-hmm. to argue that Posada was better than Jeter for no reason other than I like Posada more. And people who really like Jeter in New Jersey really like Jeter. Um, yeah. And so it was fun to be like, nah, fuck you. See that? See that? Catch a dude back there, that goofy ass motherfucker with the ears. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that's the, the guy. Hey, the guy with the ears. He's better than MVP Derek Jeter. Honestly, one of the best things, Derek Jeter, who also never won an MVP. Um, one of the the best things about Posada. <laughs> this is just a, a show of Corwin guessing who won the MVP incorrectly for about an hour. Um. The, the best thing about Posada is that the more I learned about him as I got older, the more I just loved him. Like one of my favorite facts about Posada uh, I learned from CC Sabathia is that uh, according to C, Posada loved calling pitches based off of what he wasn't hitting that day as a batter. So he was up there in the box and just couldn't hit curveballs for whatever reason. He'd go up to CC and be like, we got to throw curveballs today. Basically, the idea of being like, hey, look, if I ain't hitting it, fucking nobody's hitting it. So let's fuck out of here with this shit. That's fucking hilarious. That's absolutely hilarious. I also love that he would just do that with a pitcher who's like, yeah, I'll throw a nasty curveball that nobody can hit. Yeah, that genuinely works out perfectly. I will assist you in being petty as fuck for no reason. (laughs) Oh, God, I love it. I love it so much. Um, We've gone off topic so much. So I... Uh, I don't think Olsen, way. I'll put it this way. I don't think Olsen's going to stay with the A's. I can't believe that's where we started. Um, honestly, it'll be interesting to see what the A's do, especially because in regards of the keep Billy Bean, there's been a lot of conversation about, and you know, it's a bunch of writer shit and you makes you wonder how much of it's real, but there's been talk about like, will he go to the Mets? You know, the Mets have a, Steve Cohen has a relationship with Billy Bean. It's like, when you're a billionaire, you probably like, have ties to fucking everybody um, that you want to. So it doesn't, I don't think that means much, but if, if he goes over to the Mets and whoever replaces him in the front office sees it as an opportunity to kind of tear down reset, which is not unheard of when teams change GMs in a non playoff atmosphere. um, I, you could see a total strip down. You could see, not just Olsen leaving, but I mean, Chapman being traded, um, Sean Manaya being traded. Uh, they, I mean, they just traded their, that, uh, um, Jesus Lazardo, who I know that they must have been low on, but you could trade starting Marte for great value at this point in time. Um, I think they, they definitely will trade Marte. I don't know if they will trade Chapman just because he was not that good this year. He, he led all of MLB in strikeouts, I believe. Yeah, but he still has shown it in the past, and with his glove abilities, I could certainly see him benefiting a team elsewhere. And if the A's are looking to reset, I'm not saying that they should, because I think we've established over the years that trading pieces to get cheaper to reevaluate is almost never the best way of doing it, because then 
I think you more often end up like the Pirates and the Orioles where it's like, oh, you're just bad forever and trading away everyone mm-hmm. that shows a flash of, of value the second they show it. Um, but if we're speaking in the realm of what would actually happen, I could see a lot of competitive teams even wanting to go after Chapman just because he's very good in the field and has shown the ceiling capability of doing something great in the box. But who knows? Yes, sir. All right, we have so much else to get to. Let's abandon yeah, this topic. Please. So, all right. Stage is set. Yankees socks tied in record, but because the Red Sox of the season series edge on the Yankees, that means that the game is played in Fenway. And this game has already happened. Happened last night by our time. Happened two nights ago by whenever you're listening to this. Um, and it did not go well for the Yankees. And it showed that home field advantage had a lot to do with it because it robbed Giancarlo Stanton of a game-tying home run in the uh, second inning, I think, third inning, some shit like that. It doesn't really matter. Whenever a judge got tagged out at home. Um, mm-hmm. And it's that type. And honestly, there was actually a decent number of flyouts because the Yankees, uh, I, I think they had like four ground outs, three ground outs the whole game, which uh, is unlike them in a good way, but weird. Um there were a couple other flyouts that very realistically could have gone out or at least been more contentious in Yankee stadium that proved to be um, limited to again, either singles or doubles because of going off the green monster or being out because of the very deep certain, certain sections of the very deep right field in Fenway park. And it's led to the, a lot of the conversation amongst Yankees fans of literally one game over the course of the season of an up and down year. How couldn't you win that? And, uh, I got to say, as a Yankees fan, as a big Yankees fan, I went to game 162. It was fun. I yelled. It was a good time. I was into it. Mm -hmm. I didn't even keep score. I always keep score just to focus on the game. Uh, And as, as, as a big Yankees fan, I don't really care much about this loss. I got to say, the team was so hectic and up and down the whole year. And Cole had been so inconsistent down the stretch. I kind of was ready for this. And I never, I know we talk about it every now and then where it's like, I know you've said it about, I think the Steelers before, and I've said it about, um, I forget which my, my teams are before, but it's like when your team is so inconsistent, you almost don't want them to make the playoffs because they don't fucking deserve it. Mm-hmm. You know, I it's like we're we're playing so shit. I almost don't even want to make the show because we're just going to get smoked. It's not going to be fun. You almost get to a certain point with that with 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 the Yankees because they've been so remarkably inconsistent. You know that their lows are the lowest a low could possibly go, and to see that have to happen, like the the sixteen to two loss against the Red Sox in Yankee Stadium a couple years ago, or uh, fucking. Austin Romine was pitching by the end of the game because it was such a laugher. No one wants to have those games happen. And if there was ever a team built for that shit to happen, not built necessarily in like the GM wanted this shit to happen, but in terms of how their season had been going, how their season had been building towards that type of, of, of outcome. This is that fucking team. So remarkably inconsistent that even with a win differential, um, of like 20 games, they still had, I think a negative run differential for the season or some shit like that. It wasn't good. I've actually have to look it up now because I don't really remember. Um, 
I, 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 I'm not that beat up about it because I, I, you hope that change is a result of the wake-up call of the loss, but I don't know, man. Well, what do you think about this this Yankees loss? I do not hear you. I don't think it's a major surprise. Um, I think it's one where, yes, I probably would have favored the Yankees in this game over the Red Sox. At the end of the day, I don't think it's a completely wild, you know, scenario to happen the way it did. I mean, the Yankees were up and down like this all season. You know, they never looked to be the Yankees that people expected them to be. Um, And I just, do you think there's major change in the front office or management department? Uh, so real quick, they did have a positive run differential of 42, 42, so of two, uh, two runs per win, basically, um, which that's not great. Anyway, it's tough to say this team is built, I think, fairly. We've talked a lot about the dexterity in the lineup being horrible in large part due to the fact that the Yankees player acquisition department, player ops department must have viewed the idea of having left-handed bats as being secondary to the ability to hit uh, left-handed and right-handed pitching equally, regardless of where that was coming from. And that led to very, very right-handed heavy lineups. Um, And so there, there's certainly that part of it. But outside of that, you look at the players on the team and how they historically performed. And this year is such an aberration for so many of those guys like Glaber Torres having a 93 OPS plus is very strange. Joey Gallo, who had been having a really nice season in, uh, in Texas with the Rangers uh, what was his actual OPS with the Rangers. 139 came over to the Yankees and had a 93 OPS plus. Um, and you can, you can pick, shave the beard. You can pick your poison on it. Brett Gardner obviously didn't have a stellar year. He wasn't brought over here to have a great year, but Aaron Hicks got hurt. Uh, Gio Urshela had a down season. They played a ton of Kyle Higashioka, who had a 71 OPS plus and still managed to participate in 67 games, which is fucking stupid. Um, DJ LeMahieu turned into a pumpkin, which I think most people probably saw coming they refused to play significant time uh give a significant playing time to luke Voigt, who had a 109 ops plus and only appeared in 68 games i know he was between a lot of injuries but nonetheless um a lot of fuckery with how these players performed given their historical performance and how one would expect them to be used it's tough to pin that on the front office necessarily. If you were told me that there were uh, management and coaching changes, an overhaul in that department, I think I would more readily. Do you think Aaron Boone should go? This is now being. I don't know debated. Aaron Boone well enough as a manager to really say, you know, with confidence. Would you argue that he adds something to the lineup that 
they wouldn't be able to get from a f- fresh face or does something so exceptionally well that you wouldn't want to bring in anyone else because at this point I don't really view Boone as anything special and after the season that they've had with you know some of the headlines that they've had I think it wouldn't hurt to just kind of bring in someone fresh like they've done with the last few managers that they've had I I would be in favor of getting rid of Boone and it's because he's he's too slow on everything and I don't just mean the pitching changes it's the fact that DJ LeMahieu was allowed to lead off the entire season the entire season the man did not have a good season I mean, his OPS plus is, what, 80 points lower than what it was last year? And they let him lead off the entire season. That's fucking insanity. The fact that Kyle Higashioka got to play as much as he did, which was so evident in the wildcard game, where, all right, you start Higashioka because he's Garrett Cole's personal catcher. It's fucking stupid, but you do what the ace wants to do. I get it. Garrett Cole left the game during the third inning. Kyle Halagashioka stayed in the game till the eighth inning. Gary Sanchez is like 30 points of OPS plus on a, let me make sure be accurate here. Uh, 28 points of OPS plus on Kyle Higashioka and didn't get a plate appearance till the eighth inning of a game in which the personal catcher had his pitcher get pulled in the third. It doesn't make any sense. And it's shit like that. The fact is, DJ should have gotten bumped down a lot sooner than he, he which he never did. Glaber Torres got bounced around all the time, which shows that there was some willingness to be able to do it, but it never really happened. The fact that he let Guardy lead off when they were playing up against righties doesn't make any sense. The fact that Rizzo's first game batting leadoff was the last game of the season is absolutely perplexing. The fact that he tries to sneak outs from, from pitchers when they just doesn't need to is fucking weird. This bullpen usage, I, I mean, look, we can quibble about every single manager's bullpen usage in the entirety of baseball. We're never going to know all the ins and outs, but obviously I have issues with that as well. But it's really the fact that he let Glaber chill at shortstop for as long as he did when it was very evident it was not going well. I, I, you, you can look at all of it. All of it's just bizarre. The fact it took uh, uh, Stanton like four years, three years to get back in the field. Mm-hmm which we talked about ad nauseum in the past. You're telling us that if Stanton was in the national league, he just wouldn't have played the last three seasons. Like it, all, he's so slow. He seems so much more like an analyst than a manager. And the difference is if you told me Boone knows exactly what to do, looking at a scenario, looking at all of his variables taking the time to analyze them, go over them, and then make assessments, I would probably believe you. That doesn't necessarily affect, uh, go in lockstep with the fact that DJ LeMahieu bat lead off the entire season. But regardless, I could say I believed you. In game, he's, he's useless. He's fucking useless. He's absolutely fucking useless. It's bizarre. And his calm, steady hand when the Yankees are scuffling, um, or, uh, uh, you know, there's a different word I'm trying to think of. I can't think of what it is, but but struggling, yeah, we'll go with. It, it comes off so incredibly passive and, and 
blase that it comes off more like indifference. And obviously that's how it comes off to fans and how much fans think doesn't really matter. But I mean, when you see other managers get worked up and, and feel a certain way about taking a loss or you see Cora actually managing in the dugout, you see Hinch actually managing in the dugout, you see Dave Roberts actually managing the dugout. You can't help but look at those guys and be like, hey, Boone doesn't do shit. Half the time, you kind of forget he's even there. He doesn't do anything. It's it's infuriating. And so, yeah, I can only speak from a fan perspective. If I could speak for more, I'd be working in the fucking front office. Um, but from my view, he's got to go. You want to hire Jay Stingler? Ha, funny. That's cute. No, thank you. No, thank you. I'd want them to hire someone cool. I would want them to hire Prince Fielder. That would be really cool. Do you think CC would do it? I don't think he, he would. I've too heard, much fun with podcasting. I, and I've heard he is he's enjoying his life. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. What if they wanted to bring Dieter? Dieter. What if they wanted to bring Dieter back and give him a, you know, demotion from owner, owner to <laughs> small uh, I'm trying to think of like who like a good old time you think Andy Pettit would be he just seems like the kind of guy who would be a, a manager head um I don't I don't know it it's tough because my impression of T-Tang is that he's the, a, a quieter type and from what I've read about CC talking about him and um his interactions with the other players is that he's very much so more like one-on-one. I'm not sure how, and when I say not sure, I mean like genuinely no fucking clue um, how that translates into having to lead the entire staff and be vocal. I'm sure he's smart as a fucking whip. I I mean, you have to be to last as fucking long as he did in in the ML in MLB, but uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure I get the, the, the managerial vibe off of, off of, off of Pettit. So if you could pick a former Yankee, I guess you could pick any former ball player, but I know you'll. Which is why I went with Prince Fielder. Honestly, I actually, I, yeah. I'm being completely serious. I'm being 100% serious. Uh, Prince Fielder would be a super fun um, manager. But if I had to go with a former Yankee. Oh, man. Um, shit. Who do you even say? Jeter's not an option. Sada works for the Marlins, uh, so I, I doubt he would come back for it. CC just retired. Um, Cano is probably not around. Uh, I don't even know if his career is technically over yet. Um, I think he's still suspended. I have no idea. You'd say Bernie Williams, but he has a, a very successful music career now, so it's not like he would do it. He, I think he won a Grammy or some shit like that. So he's not fucking doing it. Um, this is going to be a hot take, but I think Mark Teixeira is kind of an asshole. So I really would not want Mark Teixeira. I don't think that's a hot take. I've heard okay. that quite a bit. Yeah, he. I've heard him talk a lot in his post-Yankees career. And man, he seems like a fucking asshole. So not about Ooh, What it. about like, um, oh, fuck. Oh, I'm blanking on his name. Not uh Tina Martinez would be fun. Uh Nick Swisher. What about him? 
Oh my God. No. <laughs> I love Swish. And if you told me that he was getting brought on as a bench coach, I would go, I would probably buy it. He'd be a pretty fun bench coach. But Swish as as a manager, I, I'm not I'm not ready for that. That's fair. I can't can't fault you on that logic. There's some Yankees fans who want to bring back, but who want to bring in Beltron. I think that'd be that'd be fine. Uh, he's got some pretty tarnished, pretty. pretty his name is pretty tarnished. It, it is, but I mean, Hinch is managing again and Core is managing again, so it's almost like, what does it fucking matter? You know? Yeah. yeah. That's fair. That'd be pretty cool to bring him in. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I I don't think it's going to matter the world over when we look at next year for the Yanks because, um, you know, there's so much more player personnel reason for why they will succeed or fail next season, uh, whether the entire lineup can, uh, once again continues to, to disappoint in their offensive production outside of a handful of guys, Judge and Stanton being, you know, the – two main dudes in that respect. Um, it's also going to come down to free agent acquisitions and trades. Uh, you know, is, is Corey Seager available for real? Um, is Carlos Correa for real available? You know, there's someone that you, you can go hmm. get, you know, it, it's like we said with Matt Olson, Marcus Stroman. Uh, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's going to come down to, Probably someone would be a fun manager. I, I free free agents. I'm just thinking, like as a manager, I think Marcus Stroman would be really fun. And he seems like a good dude, so yeah, sure, I could buy it. I'm about it. Plus, he'd let players wear durags, so you know. I, I I think they're allowed to today. They just not a lot of them do. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. It's it's really that's what makes it kind of kind of tough, I think, for for Yankees fans um, who are looking for a thing to blame. And I think that's why a lot of this is coming on to, to Boone's shoulders more unfairly than fairly. And I'm willing to admit that even as someone who wants him gone. Um, but it's it's tough because so much of the weirdness of this season is that the Yankees were so much more inconsistent in the one part of the game that they've had seemingly down pat since 2017. And that is creaming the ball um, relentlessly. And it's tough to point a finger at why that is like Glaber Torres hit so much better this season after he switched to shortstop from, sorry, from shortstop to second base. There is no reason that should affect his ability to hit a baseball in like a theoretical sense, but it could be something about comfortability. You, you hear players who DH talk about all the time. Like it's tougher to get into the rhythm of the game from the bench than it is from the field. And maybe that has something to do with it, with the positional change and confidence or whatever. Um, and so there's so much to, to this stupid wacky fucking sport that we all know and love Um that we just won't be able to really quantify in any type of way. And it makes it hard to really build in expectations for next season with, with, without that, you know? So. I think we should just make it universal and let everyone else figure it out together. I'm curious now about 
Glaber Torres's stats. Okay. As a shortstop, Glaber Torres had 387 at-bats, 434 plate appearances. And as a shortstop, he bat 251, 319, 351. That is an OPS of 671 or a um, SOPS plus of 84. That is not good. Ooh, that is not good at all. Um, he switched to short, a second base at some point during the season. It, many, many fewer games played there, so it's a much smaller sample sample size. 19 games, 78 played appearances, 70 at-bats. Um, so, again, I understand it's a smaller sample size. I'm letting it be known. However, he bats 300, 372, 443. That is an OPS of 815 and an SOPS plus of 124 or a good 40 points higher. Why? So, Who the fuck knows? Could be literally anything. But it's also there. And it took Boone 140 games to get there. He figured it out, though. No partial credit. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's weird not being that disappointed in this loss. Obviously, I was heartbroken last night when the, the game actually, you know, was lost. But mm-hmm. uh, it it never felt like their year. You know what I mean? It like, never yeah, felt like Yeah, I think like I mentioned earlier, like it never once looked like they were at their full strength. Never. Like playing up to their level. Like even though the Padres didn't make the playoffs – Early on in the season, it looked like it could be their year. For I never had season. that. I never had that feeling for the Yankees this year. Yeah. Even during the 13 game stretch, because they didn't really gain any ground on the race. I didn't even mm-hmm. really have that feeling that it was their year. It was still only for the wild card. Yeah. I mean, they won 13 straight and games gamed, I think, one game, game and a half, something, something really small. And, you know, you look at that. And you say to yourself, this it's 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 tough to feel like it's your year when you're not winning your division. And it was different the year that the Yankees didn't win their division when they won 101 games because Boston won 106 or 108 or whatever, because you won 100 games, whatever. But we also knew that was not happening out of these Yankees. So it, it's not it's not the same feeling. And mm-hmm. yeah, we're talking about feelings at this point, which is non-quantifiable and goofy and stupid, but at the same time, uh, so was this Yankee season fucking dumb. So I'm happy to have it behind me. Uh, what do you think about the Red Sox chance against the Rays? Uh, I still don't think it's very high just because to this day, they just won a wild card game, but I still don't view them as a powerhouse team. And I just don't see it. I just don't believe in the Red Sox. No, I have no faith in the Red Sox. Uh, honestly, they 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 didn't even really look. I know they put up six runs against our our pitching staff, but it was the least impressive six runs I've ever fucking seen. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as a as a straight dig on the Red Sox because we have sat here and jerked off their offense for like three seasons now. Um. It, it was just out of a, a pitching staff of uh, Garrett Cole, who clearly was struggling. Chad Green, who let up a 
bases loaded situation. Um, and then Severino, who hasn't pitched in two years. I, I and I understand he's throwing gas right now, and Chad Green's historically a better reliever than that. It wasn't the world's most mm-hmm. impressive six runs. And um without JD Martinez, at least in the immediate, it's tough to look at that and have any great confidence, especially because the Rays have been quite literally the best they've ever been. They won over hundred games for the first time in franchise history. Um, I put my money on them all day. Yeah. Percent chance that the White Sox beat the Astros. 75. 75%. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. At this point, if you are a Yankees fan, you were de facto a White Sox fan which works out for me very easily. Um, but there's, cause you can't, you can't root for in the division. You can't root for the Rays. You can't root for the Red Sox. No. And maybe you can root for the Astros. If, if you have a short memory and then don't give a fuck about the, the cheating scandal, which is fair. I'm not saying you should give a fuck at this point. Um, you can root for the Astros, but there's certainly plenty of reason not to. I think the only team left in the AL that you can comfortably it, at the very least not give a fuck about, if they make the World Series, has to be the White Sox. Yeah. I don't know who else I'd root for. Let's go close, I don't really want to root for any of them. Yeah, let's go Sox. Let's go Sox. Um, Obviously, we have no opinions really on the National League game because it hasn't happened yet. So I guess we'll leave that for our next episode and we'll get a better chance, uh, more opportunity to talk about the full range of matchups at that point. So maybe we can bench baseball for the next couple of minutes and talk about some football topics. Sure. Uh, Unless you wanted to talk Tingler. Oh, yeah. Jace Tingler got fired uh, already, which is lovely. You'd love to see it. They are. um, It was. There's been a point of discussion ever since he chastised publicly um, Tatis for hitting a home run. Because why should he? Damn it. Damn it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels like this has kind of been coming. And the fact that the Padres had a historically bad run to finish off the end of their year. Put the nail in the coffin. Um, yeah, I don't think there was any chance he stayed through next year to next year uh, after what we've seen the past like three months. So what's your feeling now about the Padres next season? Shrug. I think they're going to come back and do a lot better, but my goodness, you could not have ended on a weaker note as a team. So it's tough to look at it right now and think great things about it. It, it it's we've talked about this a lot. It is not the same as like when the and your favorite NFL team gets a new coach, and you know that drastic change can happen from that. Mm-hmm. You're gonna we're gonna switch from a four three to a three four. Uh, we're gonna do more two tight end sets. We're 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 we're, we're switching finally switching from ground and pound to air raid. Whatever. There's, That's there's not no play calling works. in baseball. Right. And there's no great, there are certainly decent and impactful changes that can happen. Like, uh, I think it was the Tigers that never shifted and now shift because before they had like Ron Gardenhire 
And now they have AJ Hinch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now they're shifting more. And that's an obvious advantage that, that they are uh, giving themselves. Uh, you can switch from throwing lots of sinkers and two seamers to throwing more sliders and curveballs. You can uh, switch from level swings to uppercut swings. But at the end of the day, the quantity of effect that all those things are going to have is questionable, especially in trying to tie that directly back to a manager. And which is what uh, makes it tough to gauge how much the tingler leaving will have an impact, but morally, uh, spiritually, emotionally, it's got to feel pretty good. It's inspiring compared to what we've been dealing with, with tingler. I just don't yet have the confidence without knowing who's going to replace them, how guys are reacting to, going into next year you also got to feel because i want to contrast this against the angels because you also got to feel good if you're the players maybe not good but at least like that the front office is being proactive because you know the angels kept mike Sosha around for hmm. i mean almost 20 years and granted the, the angels won a world series in 2002 when he was the manager of that team sure I also just said the year 2002. That was a very, very long time ago. Yes, it was. Almost 20 years. Yeah, the distance between now and 2002 is the distance between now and 2040. So, yeah, long fucking time. Uh, And they kept him around on the coattails of that World Series win for like 15 more years and they were not like ever good in that stretch of time and you know you gotta look at it if you're like trout or justin upton or albert pujols and to a certain point just be like what the fuck are we doing in terms of not the player personnel part of it but the coaching staff like where is the change happening from within not just on the field um at least I know my angry ass would, would probably be having some of those thoughts, especially in the Padre situation where you're staring down the gun of a, of a wind differential. That's just colossally negative heading into the end of the season, crushing your playoff dreams with it. You're going to want to point fingers as a player too. It's human nature. And every player I'm sure would take personal responsibility to the media because That's what you do. But I think we all know that in addition to being athletes and taking responsibility for themselves, they also are human beings who go, fuck that guy. (laughs) And uh, guess what? If you're the manager, you're probably going to get a lot of fuck that guy. So the timing feels right. And you got to feel encouraged if you're a player because uh, you're supposed to make the playoffs. You're built to make the playoffs. I mean, all these trades make the playoffs and you didn't make the playoffs and you did make the playoffs in spectacular fashion and the fact that the front office seemingly being proactive about it, which they've shown to be with player personnel proactive with all their trades in the last off season and their acquisitions, the deadline, the fact that they're being proactive in, uh, you know, coaching and management staff, it's got to feel like a vote of confidence for the players. Yeah. One would hope it's hard to say without really being involved in the locker room or really being, you know, close without being close what was i trying to go for there without being close to you know the clubhouse or the dugout things like that so 
hope is there, but I'm not ready to uh, to start putting bets down. <laughs> the will is strong, but the meat is soft and tender. Oh, <laughs> uh, correct. What's the quote from? Futurama. That's right, big buddy. The mind is willing, but the body is weak and something. I don't remember. Yeah, the paraphrasing. Um, yeah, so Ting was gone. He'll probably end up getting a management job in like Kansas City or something. Um, mm-hmm. He'll wind up the manager. Uh, oh, he'll wind up the manager of the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, that's, that's my guess. Yeah. I've, I mean, I don't think he's a bad manager through and through. I really just don't think he was what was needed for the Padres. I just think he, uh, I don't know, not a good fit. Maybe he can do better elsewhere. And I'm willing to bet that the Orioles probably aren't a huge fan of Brandon Hyde uh, because why would you be? Um, obviously, the players in the field suck but i mean we just spent a whole lot of time talking about how that doesn't necessarily matter for keeping a manager's job around um and jace tingler was just on a team that had been pretty good for a large chunk of the season worked with young players easy to sell that to um your owner or your gm or whomever is going to make that decision yeah i'm locking to jace tingler's managing the orioles start of 2022 that's an sure early thing. bull prediction i'll throw it on the sheet later um anything else in baseball before we go on to uh to our football topics no all right well uh the uh perverse situation that's sweeping the nation uh uh, urban meyer got caught in 4k grinding and uh boy howdy is uh i don't know is that predictable or is that weird uh for urban meyer it's predictable i was gonna say none of this seems out of character it's the storyline itself is absolutely insane but it being urban meyer it's not at all surprising do you uh do you have a a feel on the story to share with us um so two different videos have come out one with a girl basically grinding up on Meyer while he's, you know, sitting at a bar. And then there was a, f- and then he came out, gave his apology, like, oh, you know, oh, she just came up flirting. I didn't push her away strong enough. You know, that's on me. And then another video came out of him basically just like through the pants, just like rubbing her asshole while she's like grinding between his legs. And it's just like, oh, that's. That's not what you said, sneaky, sneaky urban. Um, And it's really just come down to you just lost a game. You're supposed to be flying down with the team, studying film the next day. And you and the GM are staying in Ohio to go out and go drinking. And, you know, as the leader of the team, you're supposed to be with the team. You're not supposed to be lying to the media and to the team itself. It's just the way he's fumbling this through and through. Don't get me wrong. Like in and of itself, it's a bad situation, bad decision, just all around terrible look for Urban Meyer. But him fumbling the situation at every turn is not helping. Um, And it's just 
all around fuckery. He's lost all respect to the locker room. He's lost all respect to the ownership. I just don't think there's any way he stays in Jacksonville. Uh, I think the cons will end up firing him at some point because he's already come out and said that he's not going to resign. Um, and I think he's going to sneak his way into a USC or LSU coaching job because both of those seem like probable openings, if not already open. Um, so fucking Urban Meyer, man. Yeah, it's um, it's also a fascinating story because it's often talked about how certain college football coaches have a level of reverence around them that they absolutely would not, will not, never get in the NFL. And it's one of the things that can keep them in college football for so long. Uh, for one thing, the pay is better, which is a stupid sentence, but true for uh, certain head coaches. And again, you're going to be looked at as a god. Nick Saban has no reason to try his luck in the NFL. Again. Uh, right, again, I should say. Again. <laughs> Sorry, Dolphins. Uh, right. That was the Dolphins, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Urban did it, but he didn't seem to take into consideration that like uh, people don't give a fuck about you in the NFL. You can't just prey on innocent college students like this anymore because I'm willing to bet this is not a first time for him. Um and expect to get away with it. You are a much higher profile person. People know who you are. I know it's he was in Ohio where he's already a well-known guy in the first place. But still, I mean, it's it's not the he same. Was at a bar that he owned. Oh, my God. Really? I didn't know that part yeah. of it. Yeah, that was his bar. And there's a lot of reasons this shit's fucked up. He's cheating on his wife. He's the head of a, of a locker room in the NFL, which bears a lot of responsibility. Uh, he also, I think, literally wrote a book on personal responsibility. I don't know if he wrote a book. I know he talked about it when he was still a uh, analyst talking head and, you know, did a segment on it in the media spotlight on, on ESPN which is fucking hilarious. Um, oh, he has two books. Uh, the books are above the line lessons in leadership and life from a championship season and fourth and redemption. I don't know what that one's about. That's a tough look. Well, he's going to need to reread it. Need some redemption here, Urban. Oh, my God. The tagline for Fourth and Redemption, faith, football, and the long journey down the long blue line. Oh, Oh, such a bad look. And there's something to be said about how intrusive we as media consumers, sports fans, the media get with people's personal life and an affair between Urban Meyer and someone that's not his wife. Maybe it's none of our business. Who's to say? Um but when you wrote a book <laughs> talking about how people need to have personal responsibility and you're a real dick about it, and then you go and feel up a woman in a bar of your hometown, in a bar you own, get caught on camera trying to be the uh, North Star of moral superiority in a room full of professionals, it's not a good fucking look. 
criteria to examine for struggling teams, according to Urban Meyer on ESPN or NFL, whatever. Number one, trust issues. Number two, dysfunctional environment. Number three, selfishness. <laughs> oh, love it. I love it. I don't know That's if I've amazing. ever seen that kind of reaction from Josh before. I love that. Oh, my God. It's like it's like the Onion wrote a, uh, an article about this situation. Yeah, they did. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, fuck this guy in the face. Oh, my Reality God. Reality is so fucking funny compared to fiction. Like, it's just it's unstoppable. Yeah. Um. And like you said, I don't know how you regain a locker room after this. You're caught in a bar feeling the asshole of some random woman grinding up on you on like a fucking Wednesday. Like, how do you come back from that in a locker room? I mean, fuck I this dude's wife. I don't know anything about their relationship, but like, how the fuck do you look uh, at it? They've a, been married 37 years. Ah, well, she's taken a, a whole ass house with her on the way out. Uh, I mean, how do you look at Trevor Lawrence and be like, let me tell you about life, kid. Yeah, I'm touching yeah. random assholes in, the, in my bar on Tuesdays, but I got some lessons to impart on to you. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence, who's engaged to like his high school sweetheart, is like uber Christian and just, yeah, there's. Hold on, can you say that again? There's any way for him to come back and win the heart of this locker room again i think the cons just need to hey you have cause to fire him you need to use it while you can because it's a free out from a massive contract that's that's also true i forgot about that part of it yeah and like this isn't something that it's not like it's the first time where this has happened to urban meyer like he got caught banging a co-ed at florida and then yeah and him and his wife like got into this huge thing and then she went and cheated on him and there's so much fucking drama every time he's left florida he left ohio state both times were to spend more time with his family because of shit he's fucked up it's just this is who he is and if you don't move on from him now you're just setting yourself up to go through it again because he's not going to change he never has he he, isn't like he's a 21 year old kid coming out of the nfl has just been handed everything and just doesn't know how to handle the realities of life and he needs to learn that he's gone through it he's been there before he's been in this fucking situation before he's had every opportunity to learn and he should have learned and he hasn't so trust what he's given you he seems like one of those guys that like walks into a college bar at his current age of what I'm assuming is 50 something. Um, Seven. Sure. And like looks around at all the co-eds and goes, I keep getting older, but they keep staying the same age. And then proceeds to start really aggressively and awkwardly hitting on all of them. Um, and guess what? That Meyer, guy. So yeah, that's exactly yeah, how that, that goes. That, that guy shouldn't have an NFL team under his direction. It, it, it shouldn't happen. Nope, and that's what happens when you are a very famous, very successful college football head coach in the South for so many years. 
And Ohio State. And Ohio State, which is the south of the north. <laughs> Pretty sure that's Boston, but okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I understand the I under, I understand where you're coming from as yeah. a Happy Valley alum. Um, yeah, it, it, I am just relieved as, as, to make this petty and small when it's uh, I know it's larger, but I'm gonna make it petty and small for a moment. I'm just relieved it's not the fucking Jets. Being honest here, there's only so much my heart can take. And honestly, if you're a Jags fan, you have to be rooting for this motherfucker to get fired. Like on a moral basis and a football basis, you have to be rooting for this motherfucker to get fired. Has there been one positive thing that you've heard about him? Oh, not since the day he got hired. Not since the day he got hired. No, it's just been negative, 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 negative. And again, I can only imagine this will get worse. Like this is this is not the actions of a man who seems to have it all together and just let things get out of hand one time. Yeah, mm-hmm. they should they should cut the losses. Um, uh, moving on to other NFL topics, unless you have anything more to say about Urban. No, fuck Urban Meyer. Uh, Richard Sherman's on the Bucks. Do you have any feelings? No, makes sense. Yeah, I would also like to offer a a large sure. Uh, Stefan Gilmore was traded to the uh, uh, Carolina Panthers. Panthers. Sorry, yes, uh, for a sixth round pick ahead of getting cut after it was announced that he was to get cut. The Patriots managed to work out a deal for him. He's eligible to come off the pup list on uh, week six. Uh, what do you think about this move? You know, it's one of those things where I heard a bunch about Gilmore saying he's not going to play unless he gets an extension. Um, he doesn't want to play without, you know, some sort of uh, contract negotiation without getting some more money. And his contract expires after this year. He's getting up there in age. You know, Belichick has always been the guy to move on too early rather than too late. And they don't have any sort of cap flexibility to sign him, even if they wanted to. So it makes sense to kind of move on from him. Uh, Getting a sixth is, you know, it's free. It's they were going to release him anyway. They got some compensation for it. Sure. Um, I'm sure it's going to work out for both teams. Uh, because the Panthers have a shit ton of cap space. Um, I'm sure it will work out fine for both. Uh, if he becomes 75% of the Stefan Gilmore of old, I'm sure that we're going to get a lot of talk pieces about mm-hmm. you know, how the Patriots make bad moves now and how Belichick hasn't had it in years. And to be honest, it's probably kind of fair, um, but it's uninteresting. Um, yeah. It'll, I, who fucking gives a shit? It's it's Stefan Gilmore. It's a marquee name. If he never comes back looking right, you say, well, he fucking was hurt. And that shit happens in the NFL very fast. If he comes back into something really good, you go, Hey, it's Stefan Gilmore. And, that's great. And he gets a chance to compete, uh, not in the AFC, which would be wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. And um, work with a quarterback he has tormented since he entered the league um, in Sam Darnold. So, how's he doing? Very fucking well. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. very fucking well. Um, God, I hate Adam Gase so much. I, 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 I'm slowly realizing um, now that Adam Gase is gone, how much more I hate Woody Johnson than I um, have put my energy into the past few years. Because pre-Adam Gase, under the Todd Bowles era, I was much more upset at Woody Johnson than I was Todd Bowles for that whole mess. And then Adam Gase came in and was such a dumpster fire that it took my time away from the trash can fire that Woody Johnson was in comparison. And mm-hmm. now that Gase is gone, it's like you're looking at that trash can fire. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the real problem here. That's what that's what got this fucking dumpster on fire in the first place. This fucking trash can full of garbage on fire in the middle of this alleyway. That's what he, he's the fucking worst. Um, anyway, that's a tangent. There was something else from the NFL I wanted to mention. I forget what it was. I like we don't talk enough shit about Adam Gase because he's no longer in the NFL, even though he still deserves it. He is going to be remembered forever for being one of the worst head coaches of all time. Without question. Where do you think he is now? At home in his couch, counting his millions. Actually, that might be true because I don't see a current job posting of his. Yeah. Okay. I see him nowhere. Yeah, I think he is at home counting his millions. Mm-hmm. Who's going to hire him? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Shad Khan. <laughs> God, what a roller coaster for Jags fans that would be. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence retires at 24. Remember when there was articles that came out saying that if the Jets had the first overall pick, Trevor Lawrence should hold out, skip the draft, not go to the Jets because we were too much of a dumpster fire? How's it looking? Sucks to suck, yo. How's it looking, guys? Looking out great for Zach Smith. Who? Zach Wilson. Okay. Ay, caramba. Yeah. I don't even know who I was thinking of. Our good Christian <laughs> quarterback. Finally won his first game. Um, does it count if the, if the Titans are decimated? The Jets win? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't get a chance to watch any of the game, really, because I was at the Yankees game that day. I So I didn't see any of it. Have you seen anything of it? No. So I don't know. Should I fucking even bother caring a little bit about this season? Because of one win? No. Right. Uh, maybe maybe the pessimism of the Yankees loss is, is just affecting me across sports. But um, I, it's, uh, confidence is not instilled as the result of one mm-hmm. win. Agreed. I feel like there's a major story somewhere else that we're missing that I, I just can't scrounge up. Um, but I, that's fucking life, I guess. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm too mentally fried to be thinking of all the little things that we've missed over the past week. I know. And the thing is, it's like we miss one episode and it feels like there's nine different stories bouncing around that we just haven't touched upon, mm-hmm. um, which that will have to be what it is. 
because uh, we're in like an hour and a half deep here, and it's 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 time to go. So uh, I say we I say we skedaddle. Agreed. All right. Um, real quick, the Jets' next game is uh, against the Falcons. Got a shot. They got a shot. We'll see what happens. All right. Fair enough. All right. If you want to follow the show, you can do so at Juicing Pod on Twitter. You can send emails to the show at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. Uh, no other news or anything going on, so uh, stay, stay healthy and safe, y'all. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. Um, yeah, I said we're out. All right.